0: to When We Speak, where we shed stigmas, say goodbye to shame, strengthen ourselves, and encourage others. I am your host, Tasha Hunter. This is a podcast where I am blending the intersections of race, gender, sexuality, faith, and trauma. If there is a topic that most people say we're not supposed to talk about, I'm talking about it, because that is how we heal. We don't heal in silence. We heal by speaking out. So Chandra, today we are discussing uh, how we heal from sexual abuse, uh, what that journey looks like, and you're the author of your most recent book, I Met Her Before, and if you would uh, tell listeners a little bit about who you are, however that bio or that introduction comes to you.
1: Well, first of all, I want to say I'm so excited to be here with you, Tasha, (laughs) finally, (laughs) and um, I just want to kind of just pivot a little bit to my background. I was raised in a military family and uh, African-American family. My dad was enlisted. And uh, by the time I was 16, we had moved. I had moved over 15 times, you know, including uh, in the United States and overseas. So that's a little bit about that. But I was also raised in a predominantly white environment. And um, so For the most part, I was high achiever life. If you had met me before I started my healing journey, I would have told you I came from a perfect family. You know, my parents were there supportive of me. I had this, this kind of family that I have created in my psych, whatever. And um, I was going on about life, graduated, top in my class. Well, I have to say that I did get immersed in the black culture during my um, college years. So my senior year in college, uh, I found I had no money to go to college. And I was always told that I was going to go to college. And in the dysfunction of my family, we don't talk about anything. And I found that I didn't have money. And I went to my band instructor who was African-American. And he says, I think I can get you a scholarship at this college. Um, for some reason, I just assumed it was a white college because my environment had been predominantly white. And he said there were a couple guys coming back during spring break and they could tell me about the university experience. They happened to be white guys. So I... I enlist in this college, I go to freshman orientation, and I find myself at a historical black college, which I did not know <laughs> until I arrived. And um, you know, it's really funny when you're being raised and you you think you're the darkest girl, that you have the kinkiest hair, I was like the ugliest person. And then it's flipped, and now I'm immersed in the black culture, and now it's like I'm the lion's person, <laughs> and, you know, that type of thing. But it was such a great experience for me. My husband met me. My, I was my freshman year. He was a sophomore. He said I was the whitest black girl he had ever met. And (laughs) and so, you know, I got immersed. It was what I needed. I excelled there. I had instructors who really believed in me, I think really for the first time um, that I connected with and they uh, I mean, I was really I was honest, I was an ROTC and I was the first female to head the cadet ROTC Corps in the history of NSU. So as I said, overachiever, then we got married, went into the military, Started having children. It was not until my mid thirties that, uh, and this is where the book comes in. I met her before. Is uh, we were adopting children at the time, and the children were abruptly taken by a social worker because I disagreed with the social worker concerning this little girl who I thought was sexually abused based on her behavior. And because I disagreed with the social worker, they were abruptly removed and taken. And that triggered for me, uh, memories of past trauma that I didn't have before.
0: It totally, you have this life and we're going to get into your story, but then as you're some, something happens and, Mm -hmm. and for you, the trauma was, it was forgotten for a while.
1: Yeah. I had no memories Mm -hmm. of my abuse, uh, being sexually abused at all. Now I knew I was they're protective on my daughter you know about uh, babysitters or just people watching her and I didn't like her spending the night with anybody. but I mean I think that's like normal for most people. I did notice when I was raising my kids when they were young it seemed like I had nothing to retrieve from my past like you know how did my mom do things or like I'd hear stories about my friends saying that oh their mother used to say this to them about parents you know and I had it didn't seem like I had anything I could retrieve back there and pull it up. I was always reading reading parenting books. So, um, so yeah, that up until that time, nothing. And then I had my first flashback within a couple of months after the kids were taken. I realized now the reason was it was the first time probably in my adult life where I felt powerless. I felt helpless up until that time. I pretty much controlled my world, but when they were taken and nothing I could do could stop that from them being taken and that feeling of helplessness just rocked my foundation I would say I was probably more of a controlling person especially at that time and I controlled my world for husband controlled my husband and um, when that happened it rocked my world. So my first flashback, when it came, it was the weirdest thing. I was getting ready to take a nap middle of the day. And all of a sudden I felt small. I felt like this six-year-old child and I became frozen, terrified. And I felt something was, someone was coming into my room and I couldn't move. It was like, and I remember in my mind saying, help me, Lord, help me. After a while, my body would thawed and I went to my husband and I just said to him, I think something terrible happened to me, but I can't remember. And I just started sobbing. So that was like my first inclination, maybe that something was serious wrong. And I finally, um, after a few months later, I went home to see my mother and my sister to see if she could tell me something. But I was very elusive. Like I, I asked the question, did anything ever happen to me when I was a child growing up? anything bad. <clears throat> and that's when my mother told me I was almost kidnapped, but I had always told the story that, that my sister sad. was yeah. almost kidnapped and I rescued her. Isn't it crazy how the mind works?
0: It does. It, it, it works really hard to protect us. And so all your life you had worked, your mind had worked to really protect you from the intensity of the trauma that you experienced. Mm-hmm even completely blocking all memory of what your, your real life, your reality was. And so, even when I hear you talk about the control that came from not having control and being powerless, yes, and 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 potentially (laughs) growing up with somebody who was very controlling and kind of, um, do you want to share? I don't know uh, how you feel about it. Kind of sharing about who your abuser was and and yes,
1: sure, sure. I wouldn't, you know, I'd like to do that. Um, I was sexually uh, abused by my father from the age of a year and a half till I was 16 years of age. It's interesting because my mother always told me this story that Uh, when I was about 14 months, year and a half, my dad had been deployed overseas and he came back. And anytime he would come near me or in the room, I would scream and I would cry. And I never thought much of that story until I had children of my own. My husband would deploy and come back and none of that happened to my children, but it really honed in when I started having, you can have emotional breakdown, whatever you want to call what I went through. I really started looking at that you know and then i had an aunt who volunteered that story to me that same story my mother told me and she always wondered it she said that story always bothered her mm. so that was validation for me because when you forget your life when you forget who you are these things these horrible ha- you just don't know what to believe And I prided myself that I had this great memory because I did on other things. But here's this whole part of my life that was, you know, dissociated and I had amnesia. And so when my aunt gave me that, it was like gold in a sense, because it was something to validate that, you know, I'm not crazy. I'm not making things up. There's something here that needs to be investigated and explored. And like my husband always says, don't give her a little something because she starts digging. I do. That's my nature. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I start digging more and more. And so that that really helped me that she gave that to me as far as, okay, there's something there. Because if she felt uncomfortable about it. And uh, my dad was alcoholic. I lived in domestic violent home. Mm-hmm. So all these factors came into play. He was very controlling. He uh, abused my mother, you know, the kids, no one was safe. You know, I'm the only one in my family system has done the work to get well. Mm-hmm. I'm the only one that has come out, so to speak, to do this work. I, I still don't have any relationship with my my dad. I haven't communicated with him since I had the breakdown pretty much. I can understand now, looking back, like what does a child do that age, a year and a half and two? How do you get away? There's nowhere right? you can go. There's nowhere you can go. So you you create the, And I was very creative that I was able. And I thank God for that coping mechanism. I really do. I probably would have been on drugs or something else if I hadn't had that.
0: That ability for your mind to just kind of go away or to create mm-hmm. stories and things,
1: mm-hmm.
0: be imaginative in that way. Uh, you spoke about your validating you I feel like literally it feels like God is just kind of orchestrating okay go here because because I had already written about I wrote a note to myself that I <laughs> want to ask you about the power of validating another person's story oh, talk about your aunt validating your experience can you speak to the power of people of Christians of family of friends mm. validating another person's story
1: oh my god I can't tell you how important it is Mm -hmm. that we validate when someone comes to us, even if we don't really understand that we hear and we say, you know, I hear you. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Because when you have fragmented parts, you're thinking you're crazy already, right? And you need someone to believe in you because you have lost belief in yourself. You know, I didn't even have my own narration, of my story, right? My narrative of my story was what was said or was not said in my family system. And and if your family system, you're in a system that is pretending like none of this is happening. My dad had pornography everywhere, blatant. And we had children, and nobody says anything. My family said people walking around with no clothes on. And so until you come out of that and you start looking back and your healing journey, and you realize, oh my God, this was unhealthy. This wasn't right. And um, and that's why I just really can't stress the validation. My therapist was my, that was huge. My aunt and even my mother, to some degree, validated some of my memories. She would validate, but then she would backtrack. Ugh. Fear. <laughs> Say what? Fear. Fear. Yes. yes. She'd give me just enough, which I was thankful for. And then she would backtrack. But I was thankful for even that, you know?
0: Right. And. And, and he was military. So he all of this dysfunction and toxicity in the home, behind closed doors. Yes. He put on the uniform. Yes. Go to work. Everything's fine. Everything's great. Oh, you know?
1: yes. Yes. We looked like the perfect family. I even had some relatives a recent cousin, we were talking, she's like, I used to wish I was part of your family. You'd be in the Philippines. And we were all smiling at pictures. We're a beautiful family. My parents are good looking, you know, the kids are pretty, whatever. And my, I, I can remember just saying, I didn't really know the depth of, but I would get angry because everyone would tell me how great my dad was. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone say you had a wonderful father out there. And I said, but you don't really know him. You know, but other, but it wasn't like the abuse I was thinking of that. I was just, I was more like the drinking and the alcohol. So we did put on this persona Mm -hmm. pretense of this perfect looking family, Mm -hmm. and then all hell was breaking loose inside. But I don't think that was as unusual as we think it is. It's not, it's not. Right? Most, yes,
0: Chandra, most people that I know, and even for me, we grow up in these homes where the dysfunction, the toxicity, the, the grotesqueness of our experience. Yeah. But we look okay on the outside. We don't yes. have dirty clothes. We're not malnourished. Our hair right? is done. We, you know, we 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 go to school, you, you know, we do what we're supposed to do. We have friends, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. And then it's not though. Yes. Right? Yeah. And and so that is so common and that's what makes abuse so hard. It's not reported. Mm-hmm. They hide very well
1: mm-hmm. in plain sight. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes.
0: So when we think about the shame and the secrecy, that's what makes it hard because oftentimes we, well, was it me? Did I make this up? Am I remembering this right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you ever go through that? Were you? Oh
1: yeah. Questioned? Oh, especially after I got the uh, truth about the, the uh, kidnapping. Yes. I mean, for 30 some years, I'm telling this story and I'm like, Oh my God, what else have I misremembered? Right. If it, if I couldn't remember something this major, Right right and um so you do second guess yourself a lot right. and I didn't even realize throughout life I was consciously even doing that mm-hmm. and um but it is just it's a journey like I wrote that story my healing journey it took probably about the hard work the you know you still progress you know it's never ending really but the uh, the intensity of my healing was about four years Mm-hmm. took about 4 years and so the first flashback you know 4 to 5 years um but
0: that that's important for anybody listening okay. that part right there uh-huh. because i was telling someone yesterday when you start therapy you think well i just want to be fixed right now but no <laughs> so true not when you've experienced years of abuse and then oftentimes you don't even realize the intensity of the abuse until your 30s or your 40s when everything yes. comes flooding out. So yes. I love that you mentioned that it took four or five years.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, um, Because, you know, when you read the story, it kind of goes sort of fast. Well, you, you've mm-hmm. got to write that way. People aren't going to hang in that long to read the book. Right. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. But it, yeah, it took about four to five years of the intensity and the interesting thing is because I read your book which I Mm -hmm. thought was so awesome and you know the suicidal part and I didn't write in Marcia's story the it was so much other stuff I'm like you know only people can only handle so much so Mm -hmm. but I want to touch on that for me I didn't really have that issue or feeling that way I wanted to end my life until I was facing the abandonment of my mother Mm. and I had gone through the I thought the worst, you know, ritual abuse, the face and all this stuff, but it was, and I remember during counseling sessions, I would have episodes like, you know, little Marcy would come out and she was reliving a a traumatic event at the hands of the abuser. And she would cry out mommy. And my counselor would say, was your mother there? And I'd say, no, right away, my mother's not there. My mother doesn't know all this stuff, but my mother did know. But it's something for a child to really face. And I remember my therapist says, well, you know, at some point in your journey, you will face that and it's going to be very difficult. And when I remember I had a dream, a lot of times God speaks to me in dreams. <clears throat> I received a lot of healing through dreams, a lot of revelation. A lot of my fragments came in dreams. And this one particular dream, my dad was blessed to me in the bathroom and my mother walks in like she speaks and she sees what's happening. She doesn't do anything, but she looks at me with like disdain mm-hmm. and anger. And I woke up from that dream and I was sinking fast because I knew it was the truth. Mm-hmm. I knew God was showing me mm-hmm. a, a aspect of a memory. I had another piece of the memory that came in pieces for me, like puzzle pieces. And I was thankful that he brought a couple of friends who were very sensitive to the Holy Spirit and had the gift of healing and the Lord really ministered to me in that place, mm-hmm. the part, even like I was, it was the weird, it was the most amazing thing because the way the Lord ministered through this woman, it's like she nurtured me like a mother mm-hmm. to a child. And, um, but that's when, when all that happened before the prayer session, I remember sitting at the, I was at an intersection in the car. I was either going to get the kids or something. The pain was so awful. I just wanted to end it. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting and I was ready to gas. I mean, the traffic was going like crazy. And I was ready to floor it in in the intersection. I didn't care. And something held me back, you know, and I have to just say it was gone. But that's when I wanted to end my life is to face that pain was so physical. It was so horrible. The abandonment of my mother.
0: It 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 takes you there. And 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 w- when when you consider the full weight of this is my mother. She literally carried me.
1: I know. yet She and gave me to him. Right. That right. is like being sold down the river. Right. Yeah, so
0: that, that brings me to my next question. Oftentimes when I'm working with people, they will, um, they'll say, well, I I want to talk about the abuse. I want to talk to my family about it. I want to write about it. I want to share my story, but I am afraid of upsetting my abuser, who is my mother, I'm a, or, or or my father. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fearful of upsetting my siblings because they didn't go through what I went through, or or they don't remember it the way I remember it. Right. And so, w- what was that experience like for you, or or what would you have to say, you know, regarding that fear of upsetting the abuser or uh, upsetting people who were complicit?
1: Yeah, you know? um, that's a real thing. You know, I mean. When I came out with, let me say this first. When I came out with my abuse with the family, my family system, and I started talking, really, people ran. That's how my family system dealt with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally scattered, like, you know, your light turns on in the dark room and the mice all ran. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like what my family did. So I lost my family for a season. I mean, even to the point I remember having to disengage you know, I'm a believer and it says forsake all not to, to follow the Lord. And I felt like I was going to follow truth no matter what, follow because, truth. because if I did not, it was destroying me. It was destroy. You know, I wouldn't be a mother to my children that they need me to be right. So I was like, I'm done being loyal to someone who's not loyal to me, <laughs> you know? And, um, so I remember telling my mother that I was, I'm, we were moving. I wasn't giving her my phone number. I was disengaging because she had gone back to after they'd been divorced for 20 some years, he still had control over her. And when she talked to him for an hour and he did one of these mm-hmm. mental games on her gymnastics, mm-hmm. and then she was trying to blame me and I was too the sensitive one and all that shit. Excuse yes. my French. Yes. I had enough. I said, and I disengaged for a couple of years to get well. My counselor told me it w- I was going to write a book. Now this has been like 30 years ago for me that I went through this, started this journey. And it has taken this long for me to write this story this way. And I think it's a couple d- different things. I think the season is perfect for my book right now. <laughs> I'm going to plan it any better <laughs> after the Me Too movement. But right. I think the other thing is I had to be strong enough I, like I said, you know, if they all leave again, I'm okay with it. So um, I have published my book. I did not heard any from my family, immediate family members, which I was expecting not to hear. But I have heard from other family members that I know my dad molested. And I'm telling you, the Lord told me years ago he did. And I had no other proof. And none of my siblings were coming forward. Yet I knew. So I'm healthy enough. The thing is, I want to say to them. It's important for you to be healthy enough. It's okay to write your story. You can write your story. You don't have to publish it right now. You can write it and everything and lay it aside. But it's so important for you to be healthy enough and strong enough when you do write your story that you don't crumble because family members are going to turn against you or whatever, because there's no guarantee how they're going to react. Shame does crazy thing to people. Mm-hmm. We do everything to not feel that shame and distance ourselves from it, right? So
0: everything you said was was on point. The importance of choosing choosing a path of truth for yourself, which is what mm-hmm. you did, walking in truth. And then just the awareness that when I go through this, I'm going to need some help. I'm going to need some reinforcement. I can't do this alone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, but, but getting the help that you need will also let you know that, okay, when I choose this path to share my story or even acknowledge my story.
1: Right, that's right
0: there. Or confront my family or ask questions. Mm -hmm. They may deny it. They may stop talking to me. Things may get very heated, but I'll be okay.
1: Yes, yes. You know, it's, it's so interesting. I remember when the Lord told me it was time for me to go and forgive my mother. And I was like, hell no, hell no. You know, but I've known the, to listen to him Mm -hmm. because he never steers me wrong and when I went I'll never forget I went for myself and my two sisters were there because what my mother tends to do is she'll say something to me but then when she talks to someone else in the family it's different than what she said to me so my family system was a little crazy because well mom says it really wasn't that bad or you know yet she was telling me uh, when I said, "Mama, I have a memory about Dad coming into the bathroom when I was a teenager taking a shower," did you ever see something like that? And she said, "He did it all the time." Now I had that through a dream memory that came to me. And so, when she would validate, I would freak out. Though you know, as much as you want the validation, you do kind of freak out for a moment, but you can't believe it's real. And so. You know, so when it was time for me to go and after I had disconnected her from like a year or so, the Lord sent me, I really felt he sent me there. And and all I said to her and my two sisters, I was praying about, I had to go fast and pray for three days because I just wasn't going to do this. But I went and I said to her, the only thing I said to my mom was, you know, one thing I've learned is that I don't have to pretend for this family anymore. And I don't have to be strong for this family anymore. And my mother immediately broke into sobs. That's all I said. And she sobbed and she had her hands, her head in her hands and so she's crying out. Oh God, I God, I can't take this anymore. I can't take this anymore. All the guilt. And I heard the spirit say, go and kneel before her and tell her, I forgive you for everything. I was very mechanical. I didn't feel it. I didn't, it was like a rote thing. And I did that And the moment I did that. I felt this presence come down on me. My mother goes into a flashback where my dad is abusing me and she's saying, I'm so sorry. I didn't protect you. I'm so sorry. Things I needed to hear from her, whether I got it or not. I didn't expect that, but I was just, and that did something for me and for my sisters to witness, to see that, that Chandra ain't crazy. Chandra is not making this stuff up. And after that, I remember having a conversation with my mother and I said, you know, mom, I still, it's confounding to me how I could forget all this stuff. And you know, my mother said to me, oh, but you can forget, you can forget. She's talking about herself. Right. She's so, really hard
0: to forget,
1: to ignore yeah, it. To ignore Oftentimes, it. and I have a
0: lot to say about just the word trigger, but mm-hmm. oftentimes people will say, well, I'm afraid to talk about my story or share my story because I don't want to be triggered or I'm afraid Hmm. to read a certain thing or watch a certain thing
1: because I
0: don't want to be triggered. What would you have to say, you know, for someone that's just afraid to even acknowledge their own truth?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Being triggered.
1: Yeah. You know, mine just came so full blown. I didn't even have time to think, (laughs) Right. but I would say you're hurting already and you can stay hurting. Let fear hold you back and stay in that place of pain and hurt. Or you can make the choice to take the first step and admit that this happened to me and begin that journey because in that journey, you're going to release the hurt. If you stay, you'll never release it. And if you don't deal with it, your body sure is going to be impacted by it Absolutely, and your surrounding. And I will have to say that the most beautiful gift in this healing has been not only the relationship I have with myself, but with my children. And my husband, I wouldn't have what I have today. I know for a fact I wouldn't have the relationship I have now with my adult children if I had not gone through that journey of healing, to wholeness.
0: I tell you what, I feel like the Holy Spirit is literally orchestrating this interview because... You just mentioned the, your relationship with your children, and I know that when, for me, being a mom, and for so many others that I that I work with, the worry is I'm afraid to be a mom because what if I repeat the abuse? Mm-hmm. What if I don't know how to love my children?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, there's just so much fear around yeah. that, and something that, that 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 came to mind for me is I said, you know oftentimes we learn how to love and we practice love based off of what we did not receive.
1: Yes. So
0: we do. That's the optimism. So true. So, I mean, what so kind true. of, what would you say to somebody that's kind of having those fears?
1: Yeah. Oh, there's, I think are natural fears, you know, that we have, um, but fear like anything else, fear can rob us of, uh, living life. And so it's a choice. Sometimes I say, do it. My mantra is do it afraid. Everything I has been worthy of doing, I've done afraid. All right. And, um, so when you're talking about having, you know, children, I'm afraid to have children because, you know, I may not know how to love them. I'm not so sure. I knew how to love my children the way they needed to love, but it's an interesting thing, how much our children can teach us. Now, I really feel like with my daughter, She was the hardest one for me. Now she was high maintenance, yeah, but I really now looking back through my journey as a woman, a mom and a daughter, that's part of you. And so the issue wasn't so much her, it was me, right? My unresolved stuff, you know? And if you have, don't realize it because you're unaware that you haven't loved yourself or you may have self-hatred toward yourself and you don't even know it because of what was done to you, that can also be projected on our children. I really feel that it's not, Just that person having, let me go back to that. Just that person having that awareness of like, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I might abuse my person. That's huge right there that you having awareness to that because you have that awareness, then more than likely that won't happen. But if you don't have that That part, (laughs) you know, because you have that awareness, I'd be more concerned if you didn't have that awareness. Right. Right.
0: Right, because abusers don't have that awareness. They don't
1: have that awareness.
0: <laughs> People who are in the home and complicit in the abuse yeah. don't have that awareness. Don't
1: have awareness. But whoever this person, whoever is saying that you have that awareness, you have that working for you, you That's know? And, and as you do the work, you'll learn to love. I mean, and you know, we're not going to be perfect parents. We're going to make mistakes. But the thing I learned early on with my children, I admitted my mistakes when I screwed up to them. I'm mommy's sorry. She didn't do that right. Well, you know, that type of thing. And I love the fact that I modeled going to therapy for my children, because I knew at some point they're going to have to go work through their issues. They had a broken mama, right? When I was going, my son, my oldest one uh, had a different mama than my youngest one, Right? <laughs> all three of my children have been raised by three different mamas, but mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. right, yeah. But it's a blessing for me to see them because they're like on my shoulders, getting more healthy. I mean, I had to come out of so much junk. Thank God they didn't have to go through the junk, but they still have some things because my mama had things to deal with. Right. So it's a beautiful thing for me that I was able to model there because I didn't have that model uh, growing up for me. And I mean, girl, I thank God for good therapist.
0: <gasps> Absolutely. So, so along with therapy, you also, you've talked about before the importance of journaling and, and, and that oh, yes. part of your own wellness. Can you speak to that as well?
1: Yeah. I heard someone say, you know, journal, journaling is like a roadmap. And I'd like to say journaling was a roadmap to my healing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a journal in uh, fifth grade from my, uh, one of my teachers, but I always journaled externally. When I look back at those journals, it was always external. I was doing this, this. I didn't really journal internally until I started doing my, um, when the kids were taken and I started doing my inner work. And I will say what journaling did for me, when all this stuff was coming up, I was so ashamed Mm. that it was a place where I could, I could find my voice when I was too ashamed to speak. So I was able to write those things down and get them out of me. And that's so important that we get it out, whether we speak, whether we write, whether we draw, that we don't keep that in. So journaling for me was a powerful tool. I didn't realize that years later, it'd be what I would dive into when I got ready to write my book. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I forgot a lot of that stuff, honestly. I, when I was going through my journals like, oh, I forgot about this. Oh, wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, oh, there's been a lot of growth. Oh, I didn't realize how that. Oof. You know, I mean, it was just a lot to go back and read through the stuff. And my husband didn't even know uh, a lot of the stuff. I gave him permission to read my journal so he would know where I was, mm-hmm. you know, but he's not much of a reader; he's auditory. So when he read my book, he learned some things. Right. <laughs> I encourage that journaling is, is such a powerful tool. It is
0: healing. And I resonate with what you said so, so much because as a little girl, I would write in a little diary, which there was no privacy at all there. Mm -hmm. And so I'd write, I hate, I hate you. I hate my mother. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, why did, who gave me like, Why? (laughs) (laughs) because I'm really, this is how I feel. And, um, and I was, maybe in the fifth grade, fourth or fifth grade or something, but that process of just being able to get it out was so cathartic for me, even as a yes. little girl. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel that pain in my body was able to be released through the writing mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. And then I would write poetry and other things. Yes. And so it did help tremendously in writing my book. And like you said, I could go back to my journals and I could see scriptures that I wrote down.
1: Yes. My, right.
0: my, my mind frame, what was going on with me on certain days mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. As,
0: as you know, memories and, and just whatever, all of my feelings. It's so cathartic. If if you it don't is. have somebody that you can share all of this with, with most most of us just don't, unless you're in there. It's
1: true. It's true. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: So the other thing that I wanted to ask you about, but so I, I'm, I'm reading your, your your book I met I met her before and for Marcia, the it, that that's you you know mm-hmm. in, in in the book and I don't want to share too much because I really want listeners to go and purchase this book. It's so beautifully written. What I noticed for Marcia is how she navigated building, her community. And I don't know if anybody's even mentioned that, or if you've talked about that before, mm-hmm. but you really, it, it was almost like there was something in you that said, I, I need support. And in the military, you know, I, I, okay, where are the schools? Where are the grocery stores? Where's the yeah. hairstylist? You, Marci, <laughs> looking what? for? You know, let me. I'm in the commissary. <laughs> I see somebody with some really a uh, nice hairstyle. <laughs> Who does your hair? Yeah. And so you learn maybe in the military how to build your community. You do. But as a trauma survivor, that's also important. And can you kind of speak to the importance of of finding your people, finding a church, finding yes. a support group or whatever, but building your community.
1: I, I, you know, that's a beautiful thing because what I find today, I love that on Instagram and different places, they're building these support communities, right? Um, When I was going through it, we didn't really have that. Like I couldn't go to a trauma support group or anything like that, but you're right. I did have the wherewithal to know like, okay, I need to tap into a friend here. Now I will say that it's important when you're going through trauma and stuff, We can wear out our friends. I want to speak to that a little bit. Mm. You know, I like to say, recycle your friends a little bit. If you're going to one person over and over and go, and you just dump and dump and dump, and you you may have a therapist, you know, your friend's also going through stuff. So you can wear out that friendship. They can't be the all for you. So it's nice to be able to spread it a little bit. You know, if you can have three friends and a therapist, and I realize not everyone can afford a therapist sometimes, but in church groups now, they're doing better, you know, as far as support groups. Um, I found um, places for prayer in church that helped me, you know, was a support for me as I went through my healing. I had a couple of friends that I could share to some degree. Now, I didn't share everything to everybody, but bits and pieces that helped, right? Right. So it's important to to have that community. And I will say for me in this season in my life, I have I have never had this what I'm having now in my life as far as support groups in the trauma world, like on Instagram, I'm meeting people and we know each other's language. I didn't have that 30 years ago. I have found that so fulfilling right now. I told my husband, I said, you know what I'm finding so exciting in this season of my life is the connection with other trauma survivors, because I have, I had community, but I felt like I went through it alone too. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because I couldn't really share other stuff to that degree. I held stuff besides my therapist, I held stuff very close to me. And I wasn't sure people were ready for some of this stuff. So now I'm just like, well, putting it out there. <laughs> <laughs> me too. I'm just kind of vomiting it out there. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. Mm. It had, that has been another layer of healing for me.
0: It is. It is. Right? Every, yes, it is. The the online space, it's just such a beautiful space. Mm-hmm. It's there for connection. We you know, we started with you know, Facebook was 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 we had other things, but Facebook right. was really pivotal.
1: Yeah you could keep
0: up with all the people, but now social media has progressed so much where even professionally, yes, you're you're meeting people and building relationships, but also and you spoke about the Me Too movement, there is this um I I don't know, the the word isn't coming to me, but this literally, I I guess I could just say this. Oh, that happened to you. It happened to me too. Yes. Yes. And you, you know, you mentioned being a high performer and, and so in this space, I love that I am meeting as a professional, other professional, other high performers. Yes. Oh, that you, you went through that or you you're estranged from from this parent or that parent, or, or mm-hmm. you experienced abuse, me too. And we're out here and we're writing books and we're speaking yes. and we're working and we're raising families and we're doing all the things
1: mm-hmm. and
0: really showing in my, from, from my view, I don't know, uh, Chandra, if, if you would say this, that yes, you can go through really horrible things in life yeah. and still be what God has intended for you to be.
1: Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I remember at one point, like, I had gone through a really bad episode and my husband witnessed it. Normally when I went through episodes, when I say episode, I mean like, um, reliving, you know, regression to child and reliving a horrific event. And I had gone about an hour already. I was by myself in the basement and I had told my son, I'm going to go be with Jesus and you're going to hear mama cry. You know, that's what I would say to him. Mm -hmm. And I want to speak to that as parents. Sometimes we feel like we don't want our children to see us weak. We don't want to, you know, our children to see us at that point. My counselor really helped me. She says, you're modeling a healthy behavior for your son. And, And that just shifted me. So I could tell my son, yes, mommy's hurting really badly, but I'm not looking for my son to fix me, right? So I, you know, I look at him and say, I'm, you know, mommy's hurting. I just need some time alone. Watch the baby. You know, he's old enough to do that. And, and I went and I had this episode where I was reliving my father molesting one of my siblings. And I felt guilty because I didn't protect her. And I went for an hour in that state as, as little Chandra. And my husband walks in from work, house tore up, girl. Kids running rampant, you know, and he sees me down there. and 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 my counselor says, well, what do you, you know what do you, how do you think your husband will react if he sees you in the state? And she says, tell him not to fix you, you know, and if it's too much to call me. (laughs) And so we, I went another hour where I relived this event and it freaked him out. And he, you know, that evening he was sitting in front of the TV rocking and I could tell, you know, he was trying to zone out. And I just said to him, I said, how are you doing? He says, I just don't know who you're going to be when this is all over. He says, are you going to be the woman i married? I saw a child today. Mm -hmm. today." And, you know, I said to him at that moment, I said, you know, honey, I really don't know who I'm going to be when this is all over, but I don't want to be who I was because that wasn't all of me. Mm. I said, I'm trusting that when I go through this, I will be the person God had always intended me to be before the trauma. Mm -hmm. So he claims he loves his wife number three now that's it that's <laughs> she's it. the best of all three <laughs>
0: yes yes I love that and your children they have seen the evolution they've seen you oh at different, my goodness. you've been different with each one different at different phases of your life and it's like this is who I am now yeah Fully realized the the version of you that God always intended
1: yes mm-hmm. and my oldest son will say When he saw me around, he came back. He was in the military and he saw me where I was responding to Micah, my youngest one. He's like, Oh my gosh, mom, you have really changed. Mm -hmm. That is the best compliment we can get as parents because we can fake it out there. That's right. right? But for our children to say that we have changed in a positive way is a gift.
0: So, my next question is on the topic of learning to. Reparenting yourself Mm -hmm. and learning to love yourself. Yeah. What did that process look like for you?
1: Well, you know what I did? I had exercises I did that my therapist suggested and it was so helpful. And that sounds crazy, but I would sit in a rocking chair Mm -hmm. with a stuffed animal and I would talk to little Chandra. I would let her know I love her, that she's safe, you know, that I'm here, that I'm listening because I didn't have any of that Mm -hmm. growing up. So I was validating her and that's helped the integration because I was so uh, split Mm -hmm. from her that it helped with the integration. So I reparented that way um, myself, nurturing myself, learning to find out what makes me happy even, (laughs) you know, because I'm so busy. I was the caretaker in my family of origin then I get married I'm a caretaker here so I'm worrying about taking care of everybody else but how do I take care of me so exploring what makes me happy what what likes me um that was it that was another journey in the healing process and you know of course that changes even with seasons with age right but um and the other thing that I had that I thought was such a beautiful gift I had a relationship with the divine and I would have encounters love encounters And um, I can remember one in particular where it was really about surrendering. It was a point in my life I was going through uh, trying to be someone important, right? We all are in search of significance. I think we are created that way, but it can get skewed. I felt I was being prompted to surrender my career at that moment because I couldn't do, I, I tend to do, like you say, high achiever. I was at that point in my life, I would give everything outside the home, but had very little when I came back in the home to get to the kids. That was just where I was at the time. And I remember surrendering my career and to come into the home for that season. And when I did, I went, I literally left my body and I found myself in heaven and I was being, love was being poured into me. That's all I can say. A love that I had never experienced. On this earth. And when I came back from that encounter of knowing that I was like worthy of love, Mm -hmm. I didn't have to earn it. And that's why I want to say, God will love us right where we are, but I didn't really feel I was worthy. So those encounters of love I had were life pivoting for me. Mm -hmm. And from there and receiving his love, I was learning to love myself. That's important Um, three years ago, I had another uh, encounter, I was just meditating. You know, I was just, if you would, um, didn't I tell you if you would just believe it to the glory of God, I was meditating on that scripture when I found myself ascending and I came to, to these brilliant doors and I, next thing I knew I was in the garden, the most beautiful garden and it was my heavenly father. Now you can realize I have a very big father wound, so it's hard to connect, right? But his very essence was, I'm so happy you're here. I am, you're my joy. Oh my God. It's like, you know, how you look at your children. A father looks at his little girl, you know, and she is his delight and joy and nothing else is important but her. That's what I was experiencing. That was just three years ago. Wow. And what it did for me, that healing encounter, I had three different months. It broke off me. Rejection. The Lord showed me how I felt like I was just tolerated by people. I, people just tolerate me. And I had been through a lot of healing, but this is another aspect you know, we're so complex as human beings, we can get healed in one area, right? And then there's another layer, uh, onion, Always it's like, okay, there's another, mm-hmm. another layer, right? So yep. this is another layer. And and how he showed it to me is after I had that encounter, my husband, he made it so real, my husband um, wanted me to take a drive with him to see our oldest son, it was like 10 hours, I don't do well 10 hours in the car anymore. And but I heard, I really felt like I was supposed to ask him, do you want me to come with you, TB? Do you really want me to come with you? And my husband answered me He says, yes, I'd love for you to come with me. My husband does not talk that way. <laughs> and when he said that, I said, really? He says, yeah. When he said, I'd love for you to come with me again, I felt this like stirring like deep within me and it started bubbling up and I'm the tears were starting to come. And I was saying to him, well, honey, I don't really know what's going on. know but he's had some inner healing now so he just kind of let it go and as it came up i go into these sobs and i'm crying all this emotion i'm like what the heck is happening you know how your mental and you got this emotional coming and what came out was oh my god lord show me i have felt believe this lie this false belief that people just tolerate me Mm -hmm. but you don't really want to be with me right you just tolerate my presence and when that revelation, when that was exposed, when it came to the surface and Lord was showing me, no, he really wants to be. with, you. Wow, girl. Mm-hmm. I cried the whole day on and off with joy, kind of like, oh, you, Lord, you want to be with me. You want to be with me. My husband was. I mean, it was major. And now when rejection hits me, if somebody rejects me, it doesn't land like it used to. Mm-hmm. It used to land so hard, but it doesn't, because I know now. Mm-hmm. It's when you know within your heart, it comes from me, it's no longer mental; it's real. It's, and you know that you're loved, that you know that you belong. That's what I felt in the garden, that I belong, mm-hmm. the sense of belonging It's huge. So many of us don't feel like we even belong or we deserve to be here. That's
0: it. And and now, coming from a more healed perspective, you love yourself. Oh, yeah. So anybody's rejection, anybody that doesn't want a relationship, anybody that isn't invested in fostering the relationship, it's like, okay. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it does hit different. Um, you know, when that, when you love yourself and you belong to yourself,
1: yes.
0: you, you know, no doubt that you belong to God and that you're loved.
1: Yes. By God. Yeah. It's amazing.
0: It is. And sometimes I'll kind of meet with people and they're really struggling through that process. Of Either they're still really close, they haven't been able to separate from their abusive family, from mm-hmm. their abuser for fear of abandonment, fear of rejection. And, and so i often talk about just the need to save yourself and you can't heal in a toxic, dysfunctional environment, no way, no how. Um, can you speak to or give a word of encouragement for anybody that has experienced abuse and and may be estranged from their family or kind of going through some of the things that I just mentioned. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I I really want to speak to that sense of sometimes we feel obligated um, to stay connected to our family members and obligation can be toxicity if it's not a healthy thing, right? I, I think for me, I came to a point where I realized I wasn't obligated to my family anymore to make us look like we're perfect or, you know, even the whole thing about how the, even Christian sometimes honor your mother and father. Well, honoring my fa- mother and father staying away. I mean, <laughs> so even how we can warp that thing in, right? But it's it's just really, I think obligation was huge for me. And I think part of it too, this is what came to me because when I was going through this, I didn't realize when I kept reaching to my family, back to my family, like to my mother, my mother would never call. She would never send birthday cards, but I felt obligated to give her a Mother's Day card every year, which was like so hard to find a good Mother's Day card, you know? Mm-hmm. And, but you know what I realized at some point, God showed me, I was reaching out to my mother because I was still trying to get something from her that I would, she would never be able to give me. We don't realize sometimes when we're doing that, we are we are still trying to get our parents to love us or to accept us. We're trying to get something from them that they have no capacity. They don't have it in their wherewithal to give us. They can't meet that need. And, and that was a huge revelation for me to step back and say, well, yes, there's fear, but there was something else for me in that. Not just fear, but it was this feeling of, that child and you still looking for that affirmation, still looking for that from your parent. Even as you're an adult, you don't realize you're doing that. So when I came to that realization, my mother does not have the capacity at all. So why am I going to keep going here and continue to get rejected? Right. <laughs> it's it, a vicious cycle. It is. It is a vicious cycle.
0: And it, it just goes back to we have to- to When when you learn to love yourself and you make healing your priority, healing yourself your priority, then you learn not to look for love and belonging where there is none.
1: There is none. That's it. That's good. Yeah. And that's what How I was looking for. You yeah, you're right. But that's what I was doing, looking for love and belonging there that was never there. Right. And um, for people that are in that process, you have to come to the point to say that you're most important. You're number one. Uh-huh. You're worthy to be healed and whole. You're worthy of happiness. You are number one. And that's where I came to the point. I'm number one now. And I'm not going to sacrifice myself for anybody Mm -hmm. anymore. Right. Because I did it for so long.
0: I feel like I I should have you on for a few more episodes of my podcast. Just I love this conversation Um, and just even the way that you're able to validate even listeners who have gone through the same thing and just kind of speaking to their heart, you know, through your own experience. And I know that now I'm kind of pivoting, but but you, you also worked with victims of sex trafficking. Can you tell me mm-hmm. how you got started with that? And just as much as you can tell me just about that type of advocacy.
1: Yeah, it's so funny. It actually started like 20 years, 20 plus years ago. I had a dream where I saw myself on African soil rescuing kids. And I just wrote the dream down, put it in my journal. Laura will speak to me and things will happen sometime years later. So fast forward 20 some years after that dream, I meet this lady who has this organization in Africa where she's rescuing kids from the LRA, the traffic, and she invited me to come to be part of her team. And I was going in the spiritual capacity right in healing and emotional healing and so there i was in africa for three or four weeks doing a lot of emotional healing work it was very powerful it was awesome it was life-changing for me and when i came back i remember looking at my husband saying honey life as we know it is, is over i've got to learn all i can about this human trafficking thing and i went to grad school i was about 50 some years old i went back to school did all my research while i was in dc i went to a human trafficking summit on domestic trafficking so i'm thinking human trafficking outside the United States. And I met survivors, girls who've been trafficked here in the U.S. And that was so pivotal for me. I felt like I wanted to educate the public about this issue. It was before it got really popular, Um, you know, because now human trafficking is kind of big buzzword. But so I had already had a nonprofit and I just started training law enforcement, educators and stuff like that. But I was sitting, I'd been doing it for two years as a trainer and I'm sitting in a national conference and they gave a definition of human trafficking child exploitation, sex trafficking children. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was a survivor. I didn't see that until i have been in it for two years and I'm like oh my god you know so that's kind of like how it happened and you know sex trafficking looks so different here in the United States uh, mine my dad trafficked me mine was in pornography we were in the Philippines so a lot of child pornography and stuff like that was a victim of that but I thought it was amazing how I got involved in this I had a passion for it people say like, you're really passionate about this but I didn't realize it was also coming out of my <laughs> and wow. I've been through the healing isn't that crazy mm-hmm. <laughs> and here I'm sitting oh my god I'm one <laughs> wow mm-hmm. so that's how that came and I was I received the FBI award for our work mm-hmm. and um and I met a lot of survivors and my heart is healing so a lot of the survivors I met that was my thing was I saw them being somewhat re-exploited in a way to get them out to speak in front of people and they were so broken and so wounded and I would just Go up to them and said, Look, you're more important than this. You need to get your healing. Right because I could tell they were still so hurting. Um, so that's how I got in. I did that for seven years, training a uh, hundred thousands of people in different areas, agencies and raising awareness. We were like the first organization in our region to do that here. And I was so grateful that I was able to do that, but I didn't realize how it had impacted my own life that is, until I was in it. That's so profound. Well, you know, I had the memory of being, I had gone through the memory of being the photographs and stuff, but that didn't register that, that it was,
0: Sex trafficking. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wow. Also, you just kind of glossed over the fact that, I did. that you, that you received an award from the FBI. Can
1: you please, what kind of award? Like
0: what, what, what? Tell yeah, it
1: that. was, it's, um, it was a director leadership community award from the FBI for my work of human trafficking prevention. It was very, you know, they only pick like one out of every state. So we were loaned to DC and received it from the director. So it was a big deal. Right. And it was neat that my husband was there and my kids, were able to come, and you know who put me in for the award. I was just shocked. It was my neighbor. It was so they were FBI agents, which I didn't really know, and they put me in for the award. They said the work you're doing is, is so needed. It's amazing, and we want to put you in for it. So I was very honored to receive that award, and it just also validated what we were doing and the importance we were doing. And then able to speak at national conferences. I spoke at uh, trained uh, the national uh, school nurses in the state of Maryland and. Virginia. And so it was, it was just a wonderful thing. Did that for seven years. And then I laid that down three years ago to really focus on my book, but not that I'm still not involved or, you know, like my son keeps saying, I want you to come train the air force OSI mom. We need you to come train. (laughs) So, I mean, it's still there in me, but you know, COVID and everything else like that. And I pace myself, you know, I'm not in my thirties anymore. So I have to pace myself as well, but I have a heart for that because I understand. And the trauma and, uh, and how hard it is. I had more, mine was called more familiar trafficking than, you know, domestic or, uh, human trafficking, but still has the same impact on you, negative impact on your life.
0: Absolutely. As I'm looking at your book, I met her before. Could you just share with listeners as much as you want to share? This is your time, you know, to mm-hmm. kind of talk about it, to tell listeners about your book.
1: Sure. Um, well, Really, it's a story about Marcia who is living a contented life, unaware of hidden trauma until her children, her adopted children, were abruptly taken. And that trauma basically triggers um, <clears throat> memories of sexual abuse. And she begins a journey of reconnecting with the child that had repressed it. The reason I wrote this book was because when I went through my traumatic experience reliving, and you know, when you relive, when you go through healing, it's like another trauma, right? Yes. There weren't any books out there on this issue. I, I mean, I did find emotional healing books, but I didn't really find the books on repressed memory, that type of thing. And back then they had the false memory syndrome, which was really big back then. And so I was battling that also, you know, the perpetrator, my dad was saying, oh, that's false memories, you know, so, you know, perpetrators will use what they use to try to stay, didn't. Um, But I didn't want other people to feel like they're going through it alone. Mm -hmm. And because I didn't have that piece, it would have helped me if I had a book like that. And so that was my heart when I wrote this book is to give people hope that they can heal from this, Mm -hmm. that there is healing and that someone else has been through it.
0: If listeners want to purchase a copy of um, I Met Her Before, where can they find it?
1: They can find on Amazon, just type I Met Her Before and my name and it'll pop up. It's both on Kindle and uh, paperback.
0: Amazing. Awesome. Um, I'm almost halfway through it. It's such a a gentle and beautiful uh, journey through your life. I love the way your writing style, it just comes across so compassionately Um, and just really letting you in on all of the things that Marcia, that you went through, Mm -hmm. Uh, just reading Marcia's story. I absolutely love it. Recommended for anybody uh that is working with children because it it really hits home for if you're a teacher if you're a principal if you're working in social services Mm -hmm. uh if you're working in even law enforcement medical Mm -hmm. anybody out there if you are a survivor of trauma if if you're a mom who is parenting uh, foster children or or children and you've experienced mm-hmm. your own trauma this book really covers it all and it's for for really everybody mm-hmm. so i recommend you that that if you're listening please go and purchase a copy of i met her before and i have some fun questions
1: okay already <laughs>
0: um, if you're listening to music uh and you kind of want something more upbeat maybe something to move your body a little bit what are you listening to
1: oh i go to the 70s <laughs> Yes, 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 Oh, I jam on the 70s, girl. I mean, you know, Earth, Wind & Fire. Yes. I can go down the list. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cool in the Gang. (laughs) Yes. Oh, girl, that's... Even my son says, oh, the 70s were it. I said, Mm -hmm. I know. We Mm -hmm. knew what we were doing back then. And now they're kind of... Now they're bringing it back and, you know, kind of updating, but... We had it going on in the 70s, so.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. That's when they still made their own beats.
1: Yes, they, yes.
0: They wrote their own music and, and all of that. It was so organic and just real.
1: Yes, So yeah. Um, who makes
0: you laugh? Who or what makes you laugh?
1: Who or what makes me laugh? Well, I tell you what. what's really funny. My grandbabies make me laugh right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, they are so funny, mm-hmm. you know, and the things that they do. I have four, four under, three three, four under three, four wow. under four. I mean, it's really this king. And, um, but they just bring me so much joy right now. Funny shows, you know, I, I don't even know the, um. there's a new show my husband and I've been watching. It's slapstick funny, but with Jamie Foxx mm-hmm. and something like, Dad, you're ba- embarrassing me. So sometimes I just like funny, corny movies, you know, to get those endorphins going, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I, I don't have like one particular like person I go to, whatever, but yeah. I have several comedians. That I enjoy. Who
0: or what inspires you?
1: You know, my therapist inspired me. Mm-hmm. She was really, she was an angel. Mm-hmm. She's in heaven now, and um, and I tell her all the time. I said, "I know you're happy. I finally wrote the book." Because <laughs> she told me to write that book years ago. But mm-hmm. um, she, she has inspired me. I look at people like from a distance. I never really had close mentors per se, but from a distance, I look at people like Oprah. I look mm-hmm. at people, like Maya Angelou, who've overcome difficult, difficult situations, and yet they are making a difference mm-hmm. in the lives of so many people. You know, I tend to admire um, people who have overcome challenges.
0: Chandra, thank you so much. And if um, listeners are wanting to find out more about you or follow you on social media, her social, you guys, her social media is so beautiful and um, you're going to see Uh, little excerpts from her book and she's going to just talk about uh, whatever is near and dear to her heart. Uh, But if they want to find you on social media or your website, can you share that information?
1: Yes. uh, Chandra Moyer on Instagram, Chandra Moyer on Facebook. My website's going through a little tweaking. So if you can, I'll just send you the link and then we can put it in. That'd be great. I've I've had so much fun. Enjoyed being here with you. I I really have.
0: Awesome. Thank you so, so, so much.
1: Thank you for just allowing me to come and just share you know this is such a gift and a blessing
0: thank you so much for listening to when we speak follow me on instagram at tasha hunter lcsw if you haven't done so yet please rate review and follow me on itunes and share it on your social media if you want a copy of my book what children remember it is available on amazon until next time